0: Well, you can go ahead and be seated. Man, I'm so glad to be here uh, today, to see you here today, whether you are in-house or online. Welcome to uh, Crossroads Church. My name is Matt Manning. I'm the senior pastor here at Crossroads. And today uh, we are wrapping up our series, Generation Gap. We are in the last week uh, of this series. And so if you're new with us, it might feel like a little bit like you're coming in on the back end of a movie. Uh, but don't worry. Uh, I'm going to take like a quick minute here just to catch you up uh, to review this so that we're all on the same page going forward, that really over the course of this series, we've been looking at what does it mean to bring the generations together? What does it mean for us as a church, particularly with a vision to be multi-generational, to bring generations together? Now, in week one, as we gathered together around this topic, we talked about, very openly and honest, about this generational divide that has happened in our culture when it comes to the generations. And how this generational gap or divide has really become toxic. It's become a place of great tension, where there's not a lot of listening, where there's a lot of posturing going on. And the ultimate kind of conclusion of that sermon, of that first week, is that we as people of God, we as believers in Jesus, we as the church are perfectly positioned by God to bring restoration rather than to contribute to the toxicity that's happening in our culture. That was week one. Then in week two, we talked about this idea of how we live forever, and that God actually intends us to live forever, not just the way that Christians talk about it in heaven and God's presence, but through the ripples of our life that we can span generation upon generation as we invest in the next generation to come. Then last week, if you were here, uh, we gathered together and we sat at really the feet of the older generation of this church. And very humbly, we learned from their life experiences with the hope that at the end of last week's sermon, that we would all be a little bit wiser than when we first came in. And so that's where we've been over the last three weeks. Today, we're wrapping up this series. And as I wrap up this series, I'm gonna be primarily talking to those of you who are in the younger generations as a millennial or Gen Z. Now, as I say that, if you're of the older generations, if you're a Gen Xer or a boomer um, or even older than that, like you can't check out, all right? There's still gonna be some stuff here for you. So just hang in here. But primarily today, I'm speaking to the younger generations. About 10 years ago or so, uh, when I was 32 years old, I was serving as the executive pastor here at Crossroads Church. Now, that role uh, really meant that I was responsible for making sure that the vision was executed by aligning staff, by, uh, you know, through our ministries, through finances and budget and all of that kind of stuff. It's a role today that Angie Duran, who you saw at the beginning of service, she was our host at the beginning, does for our church now. She's a rock star, absolute rock star um, at that role. When I became the executive pastor in 2012, um, we had just merged with Fort Lupton. Fort Lupton had just come on as one of our campuses. So we went from two campuses to three. Um, on top of that, uh, as you maybe remember, uh, we were in the midst of like a nationwide recession at that point, And it had finally hit our church. That at that point, we were very like, you know, financially, we were just unstable. We were losing $70,000 a month um, in all of that. And so here I am trying to that fall like stay stabilized this new campus that we had brought on, tried to execute a plan to bring us into financial health. And as all of that was going on, our senior pastor at the time, his name is Kim, got really, really sick. And uh, he ended up in the hospital, and during that time, we didn't know what was going on with him. We didn't know why he was sick. We didn't know how long he was going to be sick. We just knew that he was sick. And so overnight, not only did I have all of my duties as the executive pastor, but pretty soon I found myself carrying the preaching load. I was carrying the counseling load. I was doing my very, very best to lead this church, not just for like a couple of days, but weeks upon weeks, on end. And after a particularly kind of long week, um, after preaching, you know, four sermons on a weekend, I wrapped up my Sunday, you know, and this older gentleman here in this church came up to me with a smile on his face. He put a a hand on my shoulder and he looked at me and he said, son, one day you're going to make a fine pastor. (laughs) Now, immediately what I thought is, you condescending old man, I am a pastor. actually a pastor of this church. I didn't say that. I was much more coy and a little bit more sarcastic, and I looked at him, and I said to him with a smile on my face, yeah, the day will be great when I'm old enough to be one. And without missing a beat, he said, yes, it will. (laughs) Now, I know that there was probably no harm intended by that guy. In fact, I'm sure he was trying to be encouraging to me, but if you're a young person, you've been there, haven't you? Where someone from the older generation looks down on you, looks down on your work, looks down on the comment that you made in a meeting, discounts the contribution that you're making to the business, the organization, the nonprofit, the church, whatever it is that you're a part of. That for whatever reason in their mind that what you're doing doesn't count as much as what someone else is doing. And in that moment, you wonder, don't you? You wonder, why does this happen to me? It's not like I'm walking unfaithfully in my spiritual journey. It's not like what I said in the meeting was, you know, dumb or, or wasn't logical. It's not like in those moments I was being disrespectful. And as you go down and you walk, you know, through that question, like, like, why does this happen? In that moment, there seems to only be one reason why you don't carry the weight that you deserve, and that reason is your youth. And then comes the deflating moments that most all of us have experienced when you realize that there is absolutely nothing that you can do about your age. There was nothing that I could do in that moment that would change the fact that I was a 32-year-old guy who would one day grow up and make a fine pastor. Shortly thereafter, I was retelling the story to a friend. We were kind of joking around. I was probably bemoaning this. And he looked at me with a word of encouragement where he shared this verse from the scriptures that I have read, that I have recited, that I have known. Like a million times in my life, this verse has been front and center. And yet on that day, it landed differently on me. On that day, for whatever reason, God decided to enlighten me with a thought that changed my perspective on my life as I moved forward because of this one verse. That in that moment, as God began to enlighten me, everything around me changed. And what I want to do today is I want to share with all of those of you who are millennials and part of the Gen Z and younger, I want to share this verse with you as a way to inspire you into a vision that is based in the scripture that God has for your life. And at the same time, if you're of the older generations, if you're of the Gen Xers and the boomers and and even older than that, Allow this to serve as a warning of search, sorts from God on how to treat the younger generation. If you have your Bible, 1 Timothy chapter 4 is where we're going to be. I encourage you to go ahead and open uh, your scriptures there if you have a Bible. If not, we're going to put the verse on the screen for you. But this is a verse, as we saw in in the first week, that these are two letters, I should say, that are written by the Apostle Paul. And when the Apostle Paul writes these letters, he's in his late 50s, early 60s. By first century standards, he is an old man. And he's writing to this young guy named Timothy, who is a young pastor who... uh, Um, Paul came in contact with when he was around 16 years. And for a decade plus, they had this mentoring relationship together to the point now where Timothy is probably 29, 30. He's this young man who's this pastor at this church in Ephesus. And with incredible frankness, Paul puts the problem right out in front in plain view for his friend, his dear friend to see, and by extension, for us to see. When he writes these words in 1 Timothy chapter 4, starting in verse 12, he says this, Let no one despise you for your youth. Paul says, let's just be frank here. Let's just be real. We don't need a dance. Timothy, you get it. I get it. That there will sadly and unfortunately be people in your life who despise you because of your youth. The reality is, is that any one of us, any one of us, can cheapen, can scorn, can marginalize, can look down upon, can mock. These are all ideas around the word despise another person in our life. You don't have to be of the older generation. This isn't something that comes with age. In almost every section and sector of our lives, we can discriminate or we can um, we can come and despise people. I mean, we're despised because of our age. That people are despised because of the color of their skin. They're despised because of the place they work, or the political affiliation they have, or the beer that they drink. That for all sorts of reasons in our lives, we despise people. And let's be honest, when we walk down this road, very rarely is it public. That most of the times, it's very private. It happens really just in the mental you know, consciousness of our own life that we walk through this life and, and somewhere along the way we see a person and we judge that person and instantly in our mind we move from taking them seriously to seeing them as shallow and in doing so we make this mental leap where now I don't have to take what you say seriously. I don't have to, I can, I can mock you, I can look down on your views, I, I can see what you have to say and, and don't have to really give you full credit for it, that I can despise you And in doing so, we make this cognitive leap in our mind that I don't really have to deal with you all that seriously anymore. And out of this reality, Paul looks at Timothy, and he fully expects that Timothy, as a young man, as a young pastor, will experience, he will be on the receiving end of being despised, marginalized, looked down upon because of his youth. Son... When you grow up, you'll see things my way. Kid, I've been a part of this church longer than you've been alive. (laughs) What do you know? Back in my day, you remind me of when I was young and I didn't really know anything. I mean, we can go on and on, can't we? We all have heard the lines that have been used on others and we all remember the things that have been said to us. On that day when I was sharing with my friend the story and that line of one day you'll grow up and make a fine pastor, as I was dealing with that my buddy looked at me he shared this verse with me and then he said some words that ultimately changed the perspective of this verse in my life. He said don't let that guy live in your head. Don't let that guy live in your head. And I kind of imagine That's like the scene here with Paul and Timothy. Like, you know, they're pulled up to a table at Chick-fil-A. I mean, where else would they be, right? So they're sitting there, and they're eating a chicken sandwich. And Paul's this older man who has this great affinity and respect for this young friend in his life. I mean, they've had this mentoring relationship that spanned a decade-plus that, that everything in their life, it, you know, signals and shows us that this is like father-son relationship. That's how deep, that's how deep their relationship is. And I kind of imagine that moment as they're sitting at the table that Paul looks across the table at Timothy, looking him square in the eye and says, man, don't let the, deci- the, the, the despisers live rent-free in your head. Don't let them live there. They have no idea who you are what you have to offer in this life. They have no idea how valuable your ministry is, that your heavenly Father surely never speaks of you that way. He never speaks of you that way, the way that they do. And in these words, Paul puts forward this this truth, this reality, that you should never allow, you should never allow insecure people to define your identity and your worth. That you should never allow insecure people to define, to define your identity and your worth. That only God, only God has the right to speak to you at that deep of a level. Like just for a moment, let's just rest, let's just remember maybe, maybe for the first time, maybe just realize how God views you as a person, as a person, starting in in the Psalms, God writes these to you. He says that you are are fearfully and wonderfully made. In Isaiah, it says that you are precious in my eyes and honored. And the God of the universe says, I I love you. In Ephesians chapter 3, it says, may you have the power to understand. May we understand that as God's people, that we should know how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is for each and every one of us. The next verse says, that, this is out of the Psalms, that your unfailing love, O Lord, is as vast as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches beyond the clouds. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountains. Your justice just like the ocean's depth. You care for people and the animals alike, O Lord. How precious is your unfailing love, O God. All of humanity... Every single one of us finds shelter in your wings. Ephesians chapter 2, but by the mercies of God, he is so rich in his mercy. He's loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life as he raised Christ from the dead. Romans chapter 5 says that for we know, for we know how dearly God loves us. How? Because he's given us his own spirit. He's been his Holy Spirit in us to fill our hearts with his love. That this is the way that the most powerful being in all of the universe views you. That this is the way your Creator sees you. That of all the things that God has created, of all the things that you have experienced, that you are his favorite. You are his favorite. Let that be the stabilizing force by which your life, where you are able to measure your worth that Paul looks at the younger generation and he says, don't let let the older generations despise you. Don't let anyone despise you. That some people, they're not gonna take you seriously because of your youth, but don't take it personally because insecure people, that's the way they treat all people in your generation. It's just not you, it's everyone. They're all treating that. So don't let them live rent-free in your head. Don't let them have power over you in that way. And at the very same time, looking at the older generation, he says, don't let that be you. Older generation, don't you be the one throwing daggers into the souls of the younger generation. And so the question then becomes, is how can, how can we best respond in this? Like when the inevitable slights come into our lives that you'll experience because of your age, how do you respond to that? What does, it, what does it look like? Because in this text, Paul is speaking as if this is a certainty. This isn't an if statement, this is when. When the slights come, you will experience being slighted in this world because of your age. So what do I do? I mean, the reality is, is that I have no power over what someone thinks about me. I have no power over what someone might say about me. So what does it look like to live this out? How does it look like to live these words of Paul? Like, like, do you respond like your pastor did with sarcasm? (laughs) No, not at least according to Paul. Paul says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, let no one despise you for your youth, but rather set the believers an example. In other words, Timothy, when the slights come, when the backhanded comments are set, when someone tries to cheapen what you're doing because of your age, I want you to set an example of godliness. That you win by the undeniable reality of your constant, public, obvious example of Jesus being alive in your life. That your despisers, they can count your age, but they cannot discount your character. Let no one despise you for your youth. Rather, set the believers an example. See, the way that you win people over has nothing to do with your age, and it has everything to do with the depth of your character. If you're a young person, I would encourage you to write this down. That the way that you win someone over in your life has nothing to do with your age, it has everything to do with the depth Of your character. That your best answer to a slight is to embody the character that every single person in the world respects. That when slights come your way, your job is to embody Jesus to the best of your ability, as best as you can. And listen, I know, easy to say, hard to do. It's so tempting, isn't it, to mouth off to people who are mouthing off. That when we feel threatened in our lives, when we feel like somebody's looking down upon us, when somebody's mocking us, like immediately we go all Old Testament, right? Like eye for an eye, like we're ready to fight, burn returns. And in doing that, the reality is, is that never actually helps. It only moves forward the perception that you're fighting against. And so if you find yourself there, I want you to think of this like a math equation, all right? Character plus time equals your vindication. That the depth of your character, demonstrated over a long period of time, will ultimately result in your vindication. If you are despised, Paul says, for your youth, as hard as it might be, you are to keep going with patience, plodding along in the power of the Holy Spirit, not by mouthing back or calling down in peccatory psalms, but by doing the next right thing. And in doing the next right thing, as you embody Jesus' character in your life to the best of your ability, know that Jesus is working in significant ways behind the scenes, moving events towards your vindication. That in these circumstances, you will never be able to bring about the outcomes that you desire. Only God can. That only God can bring about these, excuse me, these outcomes. And as you watch God work, what you will see is that your character, the depth of your character over time is a powerful, powerful answer to those who are tempted to slight you. Now, again... I admit that this may not be the answer that we're looking for. I mean, human nature is, I want vindication now. Like, I want this taken care of now. And as a whole of humanity, we're not not very patient people. I mean, come on, Jeff Bezos has become a billionaire because he built a whole model on the presumption of our impatience. But here's the deal. Whenever we respond in hurry, Whenever we take shortcuts in circumstances like this, it always backfires on us. Every single time. In our haste, we ultimately fulfill that which has been sent our way. So Paul says, let's think about this differently. Let no one despise you because of your youth, but set the believers an example. Let the depth of your character be shown over time. And what Paul says is, is when you're thinking about your character, I want you to think about it in five specific areas. Think about it in in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. So let's just walk through what he means by each of these. That when it comes to our speech, Paul knows what we know. That our words are not just sounds that we make by blowing air through our mouths. That words have real power to build up and also destroy. Then the first pages of the scriptures, we read that it was by a spoken word that God moved everything that we see in creation into existence. And as people made in the image of God, every single one of us, that we've been given the power of words in our lives. That as image bearers, the words that we speak are given to us more than just to convey information They impact people. They have the the power to to burden a person. They can stir up hatred. They They can incite violence. Words can cut deep into people's souls. I mean, Jesus couldn't have been more clear when he says the words that you speak are a magnifying glass into the true feelings of your hearts. That at least according to Jesus, there's no such thing as, I didn't mean that. Jesus says, whatever you speak, it just comes from your hearts. On the other side, in contrast, our words can build up and they can energize others. They can be life-giving, they can be encouraging. I bet every single one of us can remember a moment in our lives where someone spoke a word of inspiration that ultimately changed the trajectory of our entire lives. In Proverbs, Solomon writes in chapter 10 these words, that the mouth of the righteous, it brings life. It is the fountain of life. But the words of the wicked, it only brings violence all the time. Paul says when it comes to your character, he says, young people, be godly in your speech. Realize the power of your words. The second thing that he gives us is that we're to be be strong in character when it comes to our conduct. That every conversation that we have, every opportunity that is given to us, every circumstance, whether good or bad, in our lives, whatever the topic, that you have the opportunity to display Jesus. That in the scriptures we find that as we become believers, or when we become a believer, as we are walking with God, that God gives us the Holy Spirit in us, so that we are able to display Jesus into the world. And as we display Jesus into the world, the way that it's spoken to us as a metaphor is that this fruit of our life will begin to define the character of our lives, Paul speaks of these fruits in Galatians when he says the the fruit of the spirit, the the results of walking in God's spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Paul says when you live your life this way, even the world's worst cynic will be compelled to respect. Be godly in your speech. Be godly in your conduct. Then he takes us and he says, look, I want you to have a depth of character in your love. The measured gate of love feels a lot like the presence of Jesus alive. In every single person, God has given you the capacity to love others. And as believers, when it comes to this idea of love, we're not just to love those who love us. We're not just to, to love those who are kind and reciprocate back to us. But the Bible actually speaks to us that we're to have such great love that we even love our enemies. That we get down on our knees and we pray for those who intend harm on us. That that should be the depth of our love. That as believers, as, as church people, as, as Jesus followers that the ultimate question that should drive our lives is what does love require of us? As I wake up today, what is it that love requires of me? That when exhausted people show up, that you have the ability You have the capacity given to you by God to lead them beside still waters, to to guide them to green pastures. That through the mercy and goodness of God, you have the ultimate ability to show them what it looks like to live in the presence of God. And when you do, they will thank you. Be godly in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, and in your faith. I want you to think of someone And I'm sure whether you're a believer or not, you have someone like this in your life. I want you to think of someone who you admire because of their faithfulness to God. Do you have that person in mind? Can you see their their face? That as you look upon their face in your mind's eye, is it not true that there is nothing more inspiring than someone who is truly faithfully walking with Jesus? Paul says, You be that person. Go ahead and show it in your lives. The people who you walk with, the people who see you, they will be inspired. And then finally, he says, I want you to be godly in your purity. This is an ongoing drumbeat throughout the New Testament. If you are a young person, please hear me on this. The way that you treat your sexuality according to the New Testament speaks volumes about your relationship with Jesus. It speaks volumes. That we just wrapped up a sex series a few weeks ago. I'm just gonna give you the one line summary sentence is that when it comes to sex, that we have a gospel centric view on sex where we both hold the power and the goodness of sex as God created it. And to not do that, Paul says, is to be like the Gentile who does not even believe in God. If you're of the younger generations here today, the way that you treat your sexuality speaks volumes about your relationship with Jesus. Paul looks at you and he says to you, look, do not let people despise you because of your age, because of your youth. But set an example to all believers. Be godly. Have a depth of character in your speech, in your conduct, in your love, in your faith, and in your purity. And in doing so, you begin to understand the vision that God has for you in your life. In 2006, John Mayer, the recording artist, he wrote a song called Waiting on the World to Change. It was an insanely popular song. It won him all kinds of awards uh, in the music industry for it. For my generation, it really, it really summarized, I think, what many in my generation felt like in that time. The first, the first verse said this, Me and all my friends, we're all misunderstood. They say we stand for nothing, and there's no way we ever could. Now we see everything that's going wrong with the world and those who lead it, We just feel like we don't have the means to rise above and beat it. So we keep on waiting, waiting on the world to change. We keep on waiting, waiting on the world to change. Great song, terrible theology. (laughs) If you're here today and you're a young person tired of being despised, Tired of not being taken seriously because of your age, Paul says, you don't have to sit back and wait on the world to change. That you can do something about it right now. Because the way that you win people over in your life has nothing to do with how old you are. Has everything to do, everything to do with the depth of your character. And Paul says, oh, get in the game. Show what it looks like to live as a godly person. With God's help, be as much like Jesus as humanly possible and you will be amazed at what the Lord will do in your life both in the short term and in the long term. And if you're here today and you're still not buying what Paul is selling in this verse, I just want you to take a moment and to remember the greatest act in human history happened with a 33-year-old man. That at 33 years old, Jesus, compelled by love, even though the prophet Isaiah said that he would be someone who was scorned, marked, despised by the people of this world, that as a 33-year-old young man, his love for you drove him to the cross so that you might have a clean slate with the creator of this universe, with the God of your life, And as we stand here today, my plea to you is do not despise the caring gesture of that young man. Embrace what he did for you on the cross. Embrace the opportunity that he has given to you to experience life and to experience it fully. Take it in with your entire heart. Take him seriously at it. If you're here today, and you want to have a conversation about what that reality looks like in your life, to become a follower of Jesus, we would love to have that conversation. The text line will be on the screen. It's what Angie mentioned earlier, 720-513-1933. You can just text the name of Jesus, and we'll talk to you this week. Can we pray together? Would you bow your head? Father, we come to you, and um, Lord, I imagine in this room whether people are believers or not, that this is a verse that has been quoted so many times throughout history. That probably so many of us have have seen this verse on coffee cups and on inspirational pictures and, and in and through our lives. And yet for many of us, we probably never realize the depth of this verse in our lives. And so today, Lord, I pray for all those Lord, who are millennials, who are in Gen Z, the babies being rocked right now in the nursery, Lord, that they would grow up being a part of a church who does not despise them for their youth, but Lord, as a church who sees how you've created them, sees the beauty and the goodness, how how much you've given to them, Lord, may we embrace them for all that you've created them to be. Lord, may they see this verse today as as a vision in their life, a calling upon their life to be godly, to show the world what it looks like to walk with you. And in doing so, to sit back and to watch the way you move, both in the short term and in the long. And Father, I pray for those here today who are part of the older generations, Lord. The Gen Xers, the Boomers, those even older than that. God, may we just commit today to never being a church that despises youth, that takes the cheap shots, that mocks, that throws the daggers to their souls. Lord, may we be a church that always builds up and encourages. And in doing so, Lord, may we see your glory in our lives. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. We quiet our hearts as we come to the table of communion, remembering that Jesus, as a young man, gave his life for the ransom of the worlds. That by his body being broken, We find our healing where our slate is wiped clean from the sins that we've committed so that we might live with God forever. And so today we eat and we remember the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross. And we take the cup knowing that by his blood, we're given life. And so as a church, as a body, As a family, we drink together. We're going to wrap our service up by singing of the goodness and the glory of God. About the peace that comes with us as we give our lives to Jesus, seeing fully what he accomplished on the cross. And then confirmed three days later when he walked up out of the grave. And so if you're in house, I invite you to stand as we sing. If you need prayer over the course of these moments, you can make your way to the banner to pray online. You can just click the button and we'll pray with you that way. Let's sing together.